0: Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. There's something about being, you know, we like to have, we have a program, but we didn't come here for the program. We came here to declare the name of Jesus. We came here to see people encounter the person of Jesus. So we believe an encounter with Jesus can change your entire life, amen? Are you enjoying life today? Yes, come on. It's good to enjoy life, to enjoy what God is doing in our midst, but are you, Worried about some things as well? I mean, really? Like, are there any things that come to your mind? If I said, what are you worried about? How many of you are like, I mean, I could give you a list without even any prep time right now. I could just go down that list real quick. I'm worried about the economy, and I'm worried about what my friends are doing, and I'm worried about what I heard my kids have gotten into, and I don't know what the curriculums at the school is anymore, and I don't know what's going on with college applications, and I heard companies are downsizing, so I don't know if that's coming from my company, and I don't know if you heard, but eggs have like doubled in cost in four weeks, and so I'm worried about what that, like eggs used to be a cheap protein. And now my, man. These kids, i tell you what. My kid the other day, I come out of getting ready, and he is carrying around an egg that he has gotten out of the refrigerator. And I'm like, what are you doing with that, my boy? And he, one of my boys is just sweet and loving. And he's like, Mom, this is my pet today. I'm taking care of it. And I was like, I will give you loose diamonds to play with before I will give you an egg to play with right now. Go put that thing back in the fridge. Just now I'm worried that you're going to crack an egg somewhere in the house and I'm not going to find it for five weeks as it rots in a corner. So There is so much to be worried about if we're honest about all of the things that we don't know about. And Jesus has some things to say about enjoying life and about worry. So if you turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 6, I think is where we're going, either 5 or 6, let's see, 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is something that as we were in our time of prayer and fasting, I just kept feeling like God kept bringing back to me this thought, this thought about enjoying life, this thought about how we view God and who we think God is. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you more valuable than a bird? Lord, yes. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. In fact, statistically, you're probably removing hours from your life by worrying. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God, we thank you. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you know every need that we have before we need it. We thank you that you care for us. And I ask you to speak through me today and speak to us today through your holy word. God, spark in us a joy for life. In your mighty name, amen. When you get done reading that passage of scripture or listening to that passage of scripture, what are you thinking? Like, what are the first thoughts that come to your mind? Can I tell you my first thoughts? I'm like, Jesus, I mean, that's a nice idea, right? It comes across a little bit unrealistic, a little bit naive about where we really live about what's really going on in my life and in my world, about what it's really like to be here and to be here. Jesus says, don't think about what you're gonna drink. Don't think about what you're gonna eat. Don't think about your body. Don't think about what you're gonna put on. I'm like, Jesus, that is like 90% of what I think about every single day. Every single day, I'm like, I get up and I'm like, well, what are we eating today? What are we drinking today? And as I'm eating that, I'm thinking, I wonder what we're gonna have for lunch today. I wonder if what plans for dinner we have. I wonder what's gonna be a part. And then, I mean, come on, it is the beginning of the, what's, not think about your body, not think about who you are, not think about what's aching in your body or what's hurting in your body or what's shifting in your body or what's moving in your body or what looks like it used to look or what doesn't look like. like. I'm just not thinking about any of that. Jesus, I spend a lot of time Thinking about this body that you put me if you didn't want me thinking about this body so much we should have come up with another plan because I spent a lot of time and don't think about what I'm gonna put on it I mean how many of you thought about what you were gonna put on before you came here today it's apparent that some of you did not but most of us (laughs) what how rude I cannot believe she's gonna talk like that but most of us put some thought in to what we were going to put on today and how it was going to look and what that communicates about who I am and what kind of person I am and does it speak to the stage of life I'm in and does it speak to how I want people to perceive me and am I going to be comfortable in it all day or am I going to be able to do... We think about what we eat and what we drink and what our bodies are doing and what we're going to wear takes up a lot of the time that we think about And Jesus is saying, don't think about those things. Think about the birds. Have you sat back and pondered the birds in a while? Have you watched the grass and how it grows? Have you looked out at the flowers and seen how they blossom?" and all their arrays of colors, and all of their shapes, and all of their heights. When was the last time you just pondered what's going on around you? And Jesus is trying to communicate this idea that these things don't sit around and ponder themselves. The flower doesn't sit around and say, I wonder if I should grow this tall or I wonder if I should bloom in pink or if I should bloom in purple. The flower just does. The flower just exists. The birds don't fly around wondering what they're gonna do and hoping that something's gonna be different. They don't fly around wishing they were a bigger bird or wishing they were a smaller bird or wishing they were a bird with different wings. They just live. And I think about it and it sounds kind of nice in the way that becoming a hippie that lives off of the grid sounds kind of nice sometimes. About every two weeks, I tell Phil, we're getting rid of all technology and we're going to live somewhere in the hills where nobody can find us. But I'm not serious. That's not a real way that I intend to live my life. But when you read this passage, it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, just go sit in a field somewhere and ponder what is happening. And I want to say to him, Jesus, I don't think you are living the same life that I am living. To which I imagine he would say, exactly. Jesus has an entirely different world View, Jesus has an outlook on life that is drastically different from the way that you and I and of the uh, disciples at the time outlook on life. The paradigm that Jesus is living inside is so different than the paradigm that we find ourselves living inside and trapped in the midst of. And I wonder, Jesus, what are you possibly thinking about? Because I spend so much of my life worried. Jesus is like, I'm not worried about all of those things. And I'm like, well, my standard operating procedure is worry. I am worried about many different things. I worry so much. Some of you you are pretty good in this zone. Most of us worry a lot. When I first went away to Bible college, my brother and I lived together, just the two of us in an apartment. Now, if you have ever moved out of home with one of your siblings, It's a whole new life experience. You think you're ready for it because you have lived together for your entire life, but living together without your parental supervision is a whole new relationship building experience. So there are my brother and I on the other side of the world trying to live together. And I used to say to my brother on a regular basis, you are not stressed about the things in your life that you should be stressed about. And it stresses me out that you're not more stressed about these things in your life. And he'd be like, I'm not stressed, don't worry about it. Most of us are looking around and we are either stressed or we are stressing out people in our lives because we are not stressed about the things that the people in our life think that we ought to be stressed about because there is a lot to be worried about. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. Do you know what is more stressful than being stressed out? Having someone, when you're stressed out, tell you, stop being stressed out. It is unhelpful. And Jesus is like, think about the birds. And you're like, have you seen what the stock market did last year, Jesus? I don't know if I'm going to be able to retire on time. And he's like, but what about the grass? Jesus, I don't know if this is helpful advice today. And he's like, have you looked at the daisies lately? Just ponder, what world is Jesus living in? And so I ask myself this question because when I see Jesus behaving in a way as he often does that is drastically and dramatically different than the way that I want to behave and I want to respond, I have to think to myself, there is something that he knows and something that he understands that I haven't quite taken hold of yet. And Jesus is living in this paradigm where he is existing with complete trust In the character and person of who the Father is, he lives in a space where he says, I'm not worried because I know who God is. I mean, he knows who God is. Not he knows about God, not he shows up to church a lot, not he's read a lot of scripture. Jesus knows who God is. When you know who somebody is, it builds a trust in their character. It builds a confidence in the way that they demonstrate their love and their affection. It builds an assurance of the way they're going to respond and the way they're going to behave. And Jesus says, I know who the Father is. Is. It's what he's saying when he says God provides for the birds. Don't you think he'll provide for you? He's telling them, I know who God is. And if he provides for the birds, I am assured that he will provide for you. Jesus knows who the Father is and among the many characters and attributes of who God is Jesus knows that God the Father is holy that he is holy when we say that he's holy we're saying that God is all together separate that he is different and distinct from all of creation God is not the birds of the air and God is not the grass that grows and he is not the flowers that bloom. He is not what we live in and what we work in. He is totally distinct from that space. God is different from all of creation because he exists outside of creation. He is the one who from him all of creation came. He is holy in that he is distinct from all of it and he is unique in that he is different than anything else that we try to give glory or honor or prestige to. Anything else that we would give our attention to God is totally unique from that. He is different from it and his characteristics cannot be contained or described. He cannot be made into a statue to be understood. He cannot be studied and grasped all of who he is. You can spend your whole life discovering new depths of who he is and discovering new layers of who he is because he is totally unique in who he is. And he is holy in that he is just and he is righteous in all of creation. In every way that he acts, he is totally just and he is totally righteous. And Jesus says, this is the God I am referring to. This is the God I put my trust in, that he is totally righteous. Righteous, and then an understanding of who God is that He is holy, but He is also compassionate. He is also abounding in. Compassion. He is also abounding in love and in goodness. That there is something about who God is that overflows with love and grace. His compassion that says, even when you don't deserve it, even when you didn't earn it, there is something about His loving kindness that still reaches down to who you are. He is the God who is loving and and good and compassionate. I love the way the psalmist says it. In Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. I have to think that when Jesus said, have you thought about the birds and have you thought about the flowers, he had to think of this psalm that says he is good and his mercy is over all of his creation and Jesus stands there as the perfect example of the outpouring, overwhelming compassion of who God is, that God cared to condescend, to come down from where he was and be like us and be among us and come demonstrate the outpouring of his love and his goodness and his mercy among us. When Jesus says, don't worry about your life, it's because he lives in a space that is so close to who the father is. And he lives in a space that is so intertwined that he knows deep down in his bones, way down in his knower, who God is is he says I know God and because I know God I know that he is holy in all that he does I know that he is just and righteous and different from you and from me and he says and I know that he is compassionate meaning his loving kindness pours out on all who would seek him that it's not because of what I've done or what I've earned in fact it's despite and in spite of all of that that his compassion has come racing and charging. This is the compassionate, loving God that Jesus has in mind when he says, can you add to your life by worrying about today? And Jesus has a picture of God, a picture of God and an understanding of God that is open and that is giving that is open, and that is giving. When Jesus thinks of God, he first thinks of a God who is open and who is giving. I want you to get this. This is like, this is the part I've been thinking about for like four weeks now. This is the main course. Have you ever been to a fancy dinner, you know, and they serve you a bunch of like little things, and then they serve you a main thing, and then they serve you a couple more little, this is the main thing right here. What is your picture of who God is? When you picture God, do you picture a God who is open and who is giving? Or do you picture a God who is restrictive and is withholding? Because I believe we have a warped picture of who God is. And because we have a warped picture of who God is, we have a warped understanding of what it's like to live inside his kingdom and to live inside of his protection. Think about it. When you think of God, do you think of rules, of regulations, of restrictions, of guidelines, of boundaries? Or do you think of an openness, of an outpouring, of a giving person, of a walls without boundaries? Do you think of the ever flowing, lavishing love of who God is. Because when Jesus thinks about God, when he looks at who the Father is, when he says, don't worry, it's because he doesn't see a God who is withholding and restricting, but he sees a God who is ready and waiting and willing to pour out. A God who delights in giving good gifts to his children. A God who looks and says, I take care of the flowers. How much more do you think I'm going to take care of you a God who is waiting and saying just ask of me and I will open the windows of heaven over you he sees a God who is ready to pour it all out this is who Jesus sees because Jesus knows who God is because Jesus is God who was there in the very beginning Jesus, in fact, is the word that went forth and caused creation to come to life. And when we want to understand more about God and when we want to understand more about ourselves and who God has called us and designed us and created us to be, a good place to look is to always go to the very beginning in the, books of Genesis, in the book of Genesis in chapters one and in two, we see this picture of God's original design, God's original intent. And this is just good habit as a Christian, as a believer, as a trying to understand scripture person, that when we go and we look, we should look. And when we have questions, we say, is there something in Genesis 1 and 2 that can talk to me about who God originally intended for me to be? I want us to look at this. In Genesis 1 and 29, it says, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. What does that sound like? A delicious, (laughs) open, abundant, pouring out It is a God who says here is all of it. Genesis 2 and 15 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. It says that he put him in garden the garden. What does that mean? It means that God first prepared a place of abundance. He first prepared a place of lavishness. Do not picture a garden like your little potted plants on your balcony that are growing like two tomatoes. No, it says there were three rivers flowing through this garden. There were trees coming up everywhere. There were plants yielding fruit all over the place. And when it was in a place of abundance, it says God put the man and the woman right in the middle of this place of great abundance and he said to them I have made all of this for you he said look to your right and look to your left and look in front of you and look behind of you see all of this this is all for you for you to enjoy, for you to delight in, for you to flourish in the midst of this garden. And once the abundance had been poured out, and once he has provided more than enough exceedingly and abundantly, if we want to say it in some churchy words, when he has provided all of that for them, he says, but there is one tree in Genesis 2 and 17, he says, and the Lord commanded them saying, you sh- oh, sorry, he says, you should surely eat, blah, blah, blah. And then by two seventeen, he says, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of that you shall not eat. He says, all of these trees, and then just one. I think the paradigm shift that Jesus had that we need to grasp onto is that he first saw God, as a God of openness, of a God of abundance, of a God of delight. And then sometimes there are places of restriction. I am afraid that we have spread the wrong message, that we have spread a message that you enter into who God is, that you enter into who the kingdom and what the kingdom is through restriction and through restraint and through boundaries and through self-sacrifice. Those things are part, but they are secondary to who God is. And God is a God of abundance. In the very first thing, it says he placed them in the garden and there was abundance. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And he said to them, eat of everything. And he said to them, enjoy all of this fruit and enjoy all that I have made for you. And then he said, there is one small, let me prove it to you again. If you go into the chapters of that lay out the Mosaic law, God gives them all of these things that he wants them to follow because he is forming them and he is making them into his people. And within those things that God gives them, there are seven different feasts that they are commanded to keep throughout the year. And Some of those feasts are multi-day feasts where they are coming together to sit and to enjoy the abundance of who God is, to sit and delight at his table, to sit and drink good wine and eat good food together and laugh and think about the faithfulness and the goodness of the God that they serve and the abundance of who he is. And then he says, seven to one, one day, one, one day, he commanded them to fast. He said, first I give you abundance, and one day, on the Day of Atonement, I want you to all fast together. There are other fasts that we see, but they are not fasts that are commanded as a regular practice of the people of God because he says, first who I am is a God of abundance. First who I am is a God of openness. First who I am is a God of enjoyment and of delight. When we get to the life of Jesus, we see Jesus continually in the place of community, continually in the place of fellowship with other people. The first miracle that Jesus does is at a wedding he's hanging out at a party he is at a party and he's providing the drinks for the party he is a God of enjoyment and of delight and of abundance and he is always hanging out with his boys and he is always hanging out with the women and he is always hanging out with the people that he was gathered around him and then sometimes he would go into solitude Sometimes solitude is the picture of restraint. Solitude is the picture of restricting some of that life of community and of enjoyment to go away and have time with the Father. And here is the picture that it gives us, that the things of restraint are designed to form us and to make us so that we are better prepared for the place of abundance and the place of enjoyment because that is the place that God delights to see us in. So he says, sometimes I want you to come back into the place of solitude. Sometimes I need you to come back into the place of fasting. Sometimes I need you to restrain yourselves and know that just that one tree is not for you. Sometimes I need you to give of your tithe of the smallest part, of the 10%, because that is your place of restraint, of withholding, of with restriction, so that I can form you to better understand and to better and Enjoy the other 90% the abundance that I have created you for. I have asked you and I have called you my people to come into a place of abstinence when you are outside of marriage because I designed this thing called sex that is to be a delight and is to be abundantly enjoyed inside the context of marriage and I'm trying to form you so that you can better enjoy the thing that I called you to when you step into the place of abundance he is not a God that delights in restriction he's a God that delights in you being formed more into his likeness so that when you step into the abundance so that when he puts you in the place of abundance you can enjoy and you can delight and you can enjoy all the that he, has, he is a God who is open and who is waiting to pour out his goodness on you. And I am concerned that we are wasting our life worried about tomorrow, worried about where we're going. Worried about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat and what our bodies are doing and what we're going to put on. Worried about all of these things. Because we don't understand the character of who God is. Because we don't understand that he's a God of abundance. Because we still see God as the rules and the restrictions and the things I can't do. Instead of seeing God placing us in an abundant garden, saying all of this I have made for you. All of this I have designed for you. So when Jesus tells them in Matthew six, don't worry about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about the next day. When he tells them all of those things, it's not because he wants them to go sit in a field and pluck petals off of a daisy. It's not because he's unaware of the world that they live in. It's not because he doesn't want them to be provided for or to have something to step into. It's because he's saying it's all ready there the abundance of god is already laid out in front of you the delight of god is already laid out in front of you the enjoyment of who he is is already laid out in front of you this is who god is so why waste another minute worrying about tomorrow why waste another moment of your life anxious about what tomorrow holds has it ever added anything to your life has that anxiousness ever caused you to enjoy the day anymore no it's stolen from you being present in that moment of the here and now It's stolen from us, enjoying the goodness of who God is. We step into a season like a season of fasting to practice forming who we are and to step into a time of harvest, a time of abundance, a time of delighting in what God is pouring out over your life he is not the God waiting to take something from you to take all that you enjoy and all that you delight in he is the God who is waiting to pour out abundantly his goodness and his grace and his mercy and the things that bring joy to your soul when you picture God do you picture a God who is open, who is ready, who is waiting to pour out? Or are you picturing a God of restraint? We've all probably had conversations or thought in ourself, man, let me, tell, let me ask you if you've ever heard this. Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd like to come back to church. I'd like to get things right with God, but I just don't know that I'm ready to give up X, Y, Z. Yet. I'd kind of like to do that, but I don't I don't know if I'm ready to stop smoking pot yet. I'd kind of like to do that, but I think I think God's gonna make me make me break up with my girlfriend. I'd kind of like to do that, but I don't know that I'm ready for whatever God's gonna ask me of. Here's the thing. God might ask those things of you. But not first. First, he wants to be in relationship with you. First, he wants to pour out his goodness in your life. First, he wants you to experience his love and his goodness and his care and his mercy and his delight and his outpouring. And then as you walk closer to him and you become more like him your desires become more like his. And as your desires become more like his, your wants begin to change. And as your wants begin to change, it's not that he takes away something that you wanted. It's that what you wanted isn't what you wanted six months ago. It's not what you wanted five years ago. It's not what you wanted anymore. And you become more like him. God doesn't reach down and snatch from you everything that's bringing enjoyment to your life. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is a church where you can be wherever you are on your walk with Jesus. Because he is forming you. And he is making you more like him. And there's something that you had in you that as you walked with him, after four weeks you were like, you know what, I don't want that thing anymore. And then have you ever noticed how quickly we get high and mighty? And then like six weeks later, like you stopped smoking four weeks ago. And now you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Don't you know your body is a temple and God has called you to be like him? Well, guess what? He's been forming something else in that person. They started giving financially four weeks ago and you're still holding on to your checkbook like it's all coming from you anyway. So how about we let each other walk on our journey and we let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit in the midst of it and we all come together and say he's a God of goodness and he's a God of delight and he's a God that lavishes his love on me and he's waiting to pour out his grace and his mercy and his abundance and his enjoyment. God called me to enjoy life with him.